Hey Harvest, on this Labor Day weekend, I've stepped aside from preaching to give an opportunity for one of our elders, Terry Codling, to share with you the great burden on his heart and the ministry leadership role that he carries out on our behalf. Not only has he served as an elder for the past eight years, but he's also our global ministries coordinator. We see in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, that Jesus made the mission so clear for us. Go into all the world and... Here's the key part, the command, make disciples. And as we tease that out, it translates, of course, into various facets, reaching children, youth, and adults right here in Barrie with the message of Christ and then helping them grow in that. It's to have a local emphasis, plant churches in Simcoe County and in Ontario, as well as an ends-of-the-earth emphasis. It's to involve both going and sending, And as far as the global aspect goes, it can involve both short and long-term assignments. Making disciples involves compassion work, such as the financial support of the Children of Promise Orphanage in Ibadan, Nigeria, as well as church planting efforts that we've been involved in in Muskoka, Glasgow, and Cameroon. For all of us, fulfilling the mission means that we will pray give, and go in one way or another. Those are three very important words in our strategy. Pray, give, go. As one pastor puts it, it isn't just come and see, which is a big part of our approach, but also go and tell. So with that said, I've asked Terry to share his heart for all of this and to wrap his preaching of the word around some stories from the place that has occupied much of his personal attention, the country of Cameroon in West Central Africa, where we are the lead church for church planting Over the last few years, Terry has made three trips to Cameroon, and we're about to plant our third church there. He's going to be returning to the capital city at the end of September for the launch of Harvest Bible Chapel, Yaoundé. You'll hear his passion for the mission as he brings us the word now. So welcome Terry as he comes. Thank you very much. So it really is a delight to to be here and uh, to share with you what's going on in Cameroon. Hey, um, are any of you besides me a a little concerned about Pastor Todd? You know, does he seem a little bit off just at this this time? I mean, three three times to Cameroon, five five times to Cameroon. (laughs) He doesn't make mistakes like that. Would you be praying for him? Just keep him keep him in your prayers, okay? Uh, we need him to be strong in these coming weeks. <laughs> Listen, I want, to, I want to share with you, before we get into the message, I want to share with you uh, uh, some, for a couple of minutes some things about Cameroon. I want to show you some slides, and, and, uh, and I hope that they will help you get a sense of the atmosphere of that country and what's going on there, and about the people and the land I'm not going to try to talk to you about every slide. I'm, I'll try to create a story out of the slides, and I, and I hope you'll make sense. So let's pay attention here, and we'll go forward. So when we, when we come to Cameroon, we come to these massive, large cities of millions of people that look, look uh, obviously are not Western cities, but they're busy, modern cities with airports and cars and traffic and lights and cell phones everywhere. They're beautiful parks, and it's, it, they're great cities. But as soon as you get off the main streets, you quickly notice there's a change. There's an underlying, less modern culture. The dirt side roads are really 
rough. Sometimes you have to compete with cattle going down the road to get to where you want to go. And you can go shopping on the, for meat on the street and vendors, there's no refrigeration. And yes, you can buy a cow's head and the hooves to have for your supper if that's what you want to do. On these two rocks about 100 years ago were the last human sacrifices in, in Cameroon. This little lady was a part of a victim of arranged marriage by her family. It was terrible. This is Pastor Abu and his two mothers. One was his birth mother and one was his father's other wife. This is the very first Sunday when we were in Cameroon. The church, this guy was 45 degrees, wool hat, scarf, and denim jacket. Uh, Todd, Pat, he survived preaching in that temperature. And, and then, uh, then we had lunch, supper in, in the same place, see, no roof. And then we flew home uh, that day from Cameroon. And we were pretty tired and ready to go home when that happened. So, so this is uh, where they do baptisms. Anywhere they can find enough water, they do baptisms in these ponds, this river. This is the river. looks really good, but the current is very fast. And sometimes the river doesn't look quite so good. It's not quite such a nice place where we go uh, to do baptisms there. This is the van that we purchased for Harvest Duwala. They pack it full of a lot more people than we would ever think of putting into the van like that. And, uh, and then children. Uh, we all love children, and children are children. Some grow up in the church, and some grow up on a banana place where they sell bananas on the highway, but they're happy and cheerful. And when you want a taxi, you'll get a motorbike like that, and sometimes you'll have to compete with the chickens to ride on it. And this is what you'll see when you go shopping on Saturday. Oh, there's Cameron Cutter, soccer, football. So there, that's what it looks like when you go to Cameroon. I love, I love the way that we started out here in this in, in Seven George Street. The very first Sunday, we, we focused on prayer and how important prayer is central to what we do. In fact, we say that you, we can't accomplish anything without prayer. And then the second Sunday, last Sunday, we talked about the Lord's table and, and we talked about the centrality of Jesus and who he is in our faith and in our salvation. And, and that was really cool. And now the third and the last Sunday before we launch, we're going to talk about missions. The very one thing that Jesus at the very end of his life when he was going to be with heaven, the last thing he said was to go into all the world with the message of Jesus Christ. And that's the purpose. That's why we're here. That's what it's all about is to be on mission for Jesus. And so these things three things are really going to set the stage for what God is going to do for with us as we as we we've already moved into this place but as we go out from this place now into the community and to the world around us with the message of Jesus Christ it's pretty exciting to do that would you open your Bibles I hope you have your Bibles open to Romans chapter 10 and uh, check out verse 1 and in verse 1 it says brothers my heart's desire and prayer to God for them as they may be saved and And I read that and I read that and look at it and say to myself, is that my heart's desire? Is my heart's desire as I look upon the people of the world that they would be saved? Is that is that the thing that I first think about? Is my prayer filled up with with God's calling out to God to to save to save people? And I have to confess that sometimes, yeah, lots of times it's not there. But what about you? Is your heart's desire and are your prayers filled with a passion for people to be saved? That God would bring somebody before you today that you could teach the message of Jesus to so they could be saved. 
listen, am I praying? Am I praying about people being saved? Am I, am, I, am I giving? Am I paying the cost? Am I going out myself that people might be saved? Am I going to my family, to my neighbors, to my workmates, so they might be saved? I want to tell you a story about a man that uh, that's what he's about. This is Pastor Ebua, and he's our first connection in Cameroon. And uh, Pastor Ebua's journey with, began uh, with a, a prosperity gospel church called Winner's Chapel. And Winner's Chapel is a, is a church that is strong all across West Central Africa. It's a church that in very basic, simple terms teaches you to believe in God and do everything the leaders will tell you to do. And God will make you prosperous. Ebua was very effective in Winner's Chapel. The leadership respected him. They paid him well. They sent him to many places to plant churches. But in his personal studies of God's word, he began to realize that the, the teaching that we, of Winner's Chapel and the teaching was in the scripture didn't line up. It wasn't quite the same. And so one day he went to the leaders of, of Winner's Chapel and, and their headquarters in Cameroon. is in Douala. He went there and, and he said to them, I, I want you to give me my pension money. I want, I want my pension money back. And they fought him about it. But finally, they gave him his pension money back. And he took that money and he went to the United States where he could go to theological seminaries and study God's word because he was desperate to know the really the truth of God's word. And uh, while he was at Liberty University, he connected with the Harvest Bible Chapel. And the rest is history. He returned to Cameroon to launch Harvest Bible Chapel Douala in 2012. And now, Ebu and his wife, Henrietta, have moved to Yaoundé, and they will launch Harvest Bible Chapel Yaoundé on the 1st of October of this year, our third church in Cameroon. There's a man whose heart is all about people being saved, and especially he's focused on the people of, of Cameroon. His heart's desire is that they would be, his prayers are packed full of how to save these people and how we can go about bringing them to know Jesus Christ. That's the consistent trait that he has. And he's willing to pay the price to make this happen. This is where we're going to go today. To pull out from the passage in Romans chapter 10. This, uh, the essentials that results in the salvation of the lost. And we're going to see four things. That if those four things don't happen, nobody is saved. All right. Four things that are essential to our salvation. Let's, uh, let's pray and then we'll get into it. Father, uh, thank you for your word. Thank you for men like, like Pastor Ebua who have such a heart to, to, that people would be saved. And they're willing to spend their life and spend their money and to live in, in poverty in order for people to be saved. God, would you put that in our hearts, that our hearts desire, that our prayers would be that we would go out into the world with the message of Jesus Christ and people would be saved because of the work that you do through us and in them. God, we need you. Would you teach us today from your word as we look at Romans chapter 10? Would you teach us? Would you penetrate our hearts with your word? Would you help us to see what it is that you want us to do and who it is that you want us to be? God, be here. Give us your grace. Give us your teaching. Give us your leadership. Give us your understanding. Anoint us with your presence, God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we begin with the first one. There is no salvation without knowledge. 
We have to understand this. Look at verses, verse 2 of Romans chapter 10. For I bear them witness that they have zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to the righteousness to, to, to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Did you see, did you catch that, that, that rather shocking statement in verse 2? That there's some people who have a zeal for God, but do not know the righteousness of God. In other words, they have a zeal for God and they aren't saved. What does that mean? What does zeal mean? What does it look like? It talks about fervor. It talks about intense, intense heat. It talks about passion. It talks about affection. It talks about people that are on fire for God. That's good, isn't it? They're on fire for God. Is that good? Yeah, it is. But Paul says, not according to knowledge. That indicates a problem. He says they're ignorant of the righteousness of God. They did not understand the righteousness that comes from God through Jesus Christ. They didn't understand how to, how to be righteous. And so what did they do? They established their own righteousness. They said, okay, uh, if, if I'm going to be righteous, what do I need to do? Okay, I'm going to. Well, Paul was talking to the Jewish people. And so what did they do? They said, well, we'll go to temple. We'll go to the temple and, and do the things in the temple that God calls us to do. We'll make the sacrifices that God calls us to make. And, and uh, we got it made. We're good. We'll keep all the feast days too. And then we will be righteous. Isaiah talks about that in Isaiah chapter one. And then he says, you know what he says? God says, I hate what you're doing. Why? Because they weren't living according to the righteousness of God. And we may have people sitting right here, perhaps that are, that are really excited and revved up. We're here for worship every Sunday. We sing with zeal. And we, then we go out and we say, I did it. I'm good. I'm off my, you know, and, the zeal for God, but not according to righteousness. They're ignorant of the righteousness of God. I wonder, I wonder how many of us are like that. In Winter's Chapel, where Pastor Abuaz was, this talk, they teach this prosperity gospel, and there are many poor people there. And, and they tell them, you don't have to stay poor. You just have to come to God, and, and he'll make you prosperous. He will solve, he will solve all, solve all your problems and give you great blessings. Uh, one very hot day in, in Baminda, we were parked on the downtown street and uh, Pastor Abu was in a shop or in the bank doing something there and, and there was right beside us was a very fancy car, brand spanking new car, had dark, dark tinted windows, the engine is running, obviously there's air conditioning blowing in the car to keep it cool, beautiful beautiful car, a lot better than what we were sitting in, and, and, and at the same time there was a, uh, a little elderly lady on, on the street on the sidewalk in front of us, and she was passing out tracks to, to people who uh, were walking by, and she gave us one, and, and it was uh, advertising for a Winter's Chapel meeting in, in, in Douala, a great big conference they were having in, in Douala. And she was passing, as that was, she ran out of tracks. Will you give me that, please? <laughs> 
I, I ran out of notes. <laughs> she, she, uh, she ran out of tracks, and so she goes up to this car that was beside us, and someone rolled down the window, the window about this far and handed her a bunch more tracks and then rolled the window back up, and she went out and passed them. And, you know, I saw this, and I said, wow. Um, obviously, she was uh, being obedient, and she was being submissive, and she was working hard. And what she was thinking in her head is one day, one day I get to be in the car. It's so sad. I have no doubt that this little lady was zealous for God, but she did not have knowledge. She was not, as Paul says, submitting to God's righteousness because she didn't know any better. The law says, do this and you'll be blessed. But in verse 4, it says that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. There are people out there who are zealous for God, but not living in accordance with the righteousness of God. Because they don't know any better. And without this knowledge, there is no salvation for them. The second part is that without knowledge, without faith, there is no salvation. So Paul begins in chapter 10, verse 5, and uh, he begins to talk about this. Now, we're just going to read this through as we go along because it's a long passage and you're very familiar with it. And so he begins by saying there's a difference between the righteousness based on the law and the righteousness that's based on faith. So as Moses writes about the righteousness based on the law, but the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, we who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. So he says, you know, the law says, if you do the law, this is what Moses says, if you do the law, you will be, be righteous. But God says to us now that that's, that's not the case. It's not what you do. That makes you righteous. And so in, in verses 6 and 7. Where he talks about going up into heaven. Or going down into the abyss. He was talking about the greatest task. That you might be able to do. To go up to heaven and, and save somebody. Or go down and bring somebody even out of hell. To save them. Great. And he says that's not what makes you righteous. It's not what you do that makes you righteous. It's who you are. That makes you righteous. And it's who you are is determined by your relationship with Jesus Christ, by your faith in him. And so Paul goes on and he, and he, and he writes and he says, uh, I want you to know that, that faith he talks about in verse 7. In verse 8, what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Listen, he begins to link our mouth and our heart together. That's kind of an interesting thing to do because we don't very often try to link our mouth and our heart together, but it's important. You see, your mouth reveals the content of your heart. The way you talk, the things you say, say a lot about what's going inside of you in your heart. Does your mouth constantly proclaim that Jesus is Lord, as he says in verse 9? With the mouth, with the mouth you confess that Jesus is Lord. Is that what your mouth says? 
Do the people at your workplace, when they hear you talk, understand that it shows in your heart that Jesus is Lord? When the people that you meet at the football game or at the hockey arena, does your mouth reveal to them that Jesus is the Lord of your heart? There's a relationship between our mouth and our heart that Paul talks about. And our mouth needs to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's because it's going to reflect what's the reality of our heart. That he is the Lord of our heart. Now he's not saying to do this just at the moment of our salvation when we say, do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? And we say, yeah, we do. And we're saved by him. But the mouth and the things that we say and the things we talk about as we go forward are going to reveal if that was a genuine thing we did. Was I really confessing my faith in Jesus Christ or was I just doing what the law said? That that's what we needed to do. Faith. Faith comes from in your heart. Check out verse 10. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Two big important words there. Years and years ago, one of my teachers talked about justified. And he says, here's the way you understand this word. It makes it really easy. It's just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. That's the way God looks at us when we come to him with genuine faith. He looks at it, he says, he doesn't see any sin anymore. Because it's gone. We've been justified. And then the other word there is the word saved. <laughs> Love how those two words just fit together so well. Your sins are taken away. There's no accusation against you. We're going to go and stand before God and there's going to be no accusations against us because our sins have all been gone. Taken away in Jesus Christ by faith in him. We're justified. By faith in him, we're saved. And that's what we confess and proclaim. Does your mouth indicate that you genuinely believe in Jesus in the depths of your heart? Think about your conversations. Think about the jokes you tell. Think about the language that spews out of your mouth. Does it reflect the reality that Jesus Christ has come into your heart and redeemed you and washed all your sins away and you're his? That he is your Lord? That's what faith does. In verse 11, he quotes Isaiah. And he says, For the scripture says, Everyone who believes on him will not be put to shame. If your faith is genuine and real, there's no shame. Yeah, some people are going to try and shame us, but we're going to say, Hey, I know what the truth is. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Listen. When you genuinely have faith in Jesus Christ, circumstances don't matter because the Lord Jesus has blessed you. But notice what it says in verse 12. They're bestowing all his riches on all who call on him. Oh boy. People in Winter's Chapel in Cameroon love that verse. Love that verse. Well, they, they love the last line of that verse. And they will preach a whole sermon about that last line. But they won't say anything about went before that or anything that comes after it. Just that, that. If you believe in Jesus, God is going to pour all his riches on you. If you're a poor person living in desperate times, 
That is so attractive. Hey, listen, if you're a person living in Canada right now, isn't that attractive? (laughs) He's going to give us everything we want, man. We got it. Uh, God is going to make me rich. And that's not what he's talking about. Let me introduce you to two more people who will show you how it really works. First, we have Jean. This is Jean. Jean Yomendi. Jean's wife led him to Christ in 1996 in Douala. And after a while, a couple of years, his work transferred him to Yaoundé. And in Yaoundé, he met Pastor Ebua, who was at that time preaching for Winner's Chapel in Yaoundé. And, uh, and they were together at Winner's Chapel until Pastor Ebua was transferred, actually he was transferred to another country in Africa to, to plant churches in that, in that country. And, and so they lost contact with Pastor Abu because, he, as I already told you, you know, Pastor Abu's story changed. He left Winner's Chapel and went. But, but Jean stayed at Winner's Chapel. And then his wife got cancer. And she died. And uh, he struggled. She died in October of 2016, just last year. And she, she struggled. He struggled after that. He said to me, there are many churches and many pastors who try to establish ministry, but they are not serious. And he struggled. But then Pastor Ebua was going back to Yaoundé to launch a church, Harvest Bible Chapel in Yaoundé. He went there in December of 2026. And guess who met him? He met Jean. And they renewed their relationship. And uh, Pastor Ebua encouraged him and counseled him. And prayed with him. And he said to me. The other day I was talking to him on, on, on the internet. He says. I know Pastor Abu and how he is. Now I stand up again for Jesus. He said. And since then he has given all of his time. 100% of his time. Is working with Pastor Abu. To grow the core group. And to launch Harvest Yaoundé. He gets no pay for that. He's giving. His himself and his time. Because God saved him. But he had tragedy in his life. The next one is Mary. Mary is a, a, Mary Abolam is, is a girl and lady in the, in, the blue, in the blue dress there. And Mary and her husband with three small children left behind a really good job and a good life. Because they believed that God was calling him to preach the gospel and to plant churches in Cameroon. They moved about 300 kilometers from, their, from, their, to their, from where they lived to a remote village called Melo. And there uh, they were on their own with no money. And he traveled to villages to preach the gospel. Nobody was paying him to do this. That was his heart. And he traveled to villages to preach the gospel. And she stayed in Melong to, to care for their children. And her husband had a special heart for for children and for for orphans and for widows and pretty soon they had eight children in their house there are three children and five orphans that were now living in their house and uh, and then <laughs> they were barely surviving uh, they uh, on saturday mary and her husband worked as farm laborers from dawn six o'clock in the morning till dusk which was six o'clock at night in cameroon as farm laborers so that they could have food for the next week for their children and for themselves. That's what they did. And, uh, and then they had a fourth child of their own, nine, and a fifth child, ten. But the fifth child got sick and died 
as, in, in, as a child, as a, little, as a little baby. But they continued their work. And her husband planted churches in many, many villages. And she told me last year, last, last uh, spring, when I was there in the spring, she told me that nearly all of those churches that he planted are still living and vibrant churches in these remote communities of, of Cameroon where they were. But Mary's husband became desperately ill. And he was hospitalized in Douala for six months and he died. And she said, this is her words, I had a problem in my heart, a shock in my heart. All those years of working together, how do I go forward? Her brother, Isidore, who is an elder at Harvest Bible Chapel in Douala, encouraged her to come back to move to Douala. And she met Pastor Abu and said, I saw the presence of the Lord in him. Her spirit was revived She had no husband. She has no money. She had no work. She had no place to live. But she clung tightly to Jesus. At Harvest Bible Chapel in Douala, she flourished. She is the kindest, sweetest, gentlest, most loved servant of Jesus. And she truly is all about Jesus. And you can ask Bimpy about her. Because she and Bimpy love each other. And her four children... They are the heart of Harvest Duala's worship team. Listen, those two went through hard times, dark times of their soul. Their faith was rocked, but they held on to Jesus. That was what verse 13 talks about. Those who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. They are saved. And they cling to faith and the Lord brings them through the valleys of deep darkness into his glorious presence. That's what faith does. Faith does not put conditions on God. Instead, it clings to God and accepts his plans and accepts his purposes for their life. Faith clings to God and lives in his salvation. Faith is based on knowledge and leads us to call out on the name of the Lord Jesus. Do you have that faith? Without faith, there is no salvation. And then, of course, we have a problem. Because now, if I can't be saved without knowledge, and I don't have knowledge, how am I going to be saved? You can't. And if I can't believe in the one that I've never heard about, how can I call on him to be saved? The answer, you can't. It's a problem. And that's why Paul comes now into Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. And he says, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written... How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Here, listen to what he's saying. Consider that statement. When he's speaking of someone preaching in this context, whom is he talking about? 
He's talking about people going out to preach the gospel. Who is he talking about? Do you know the answer? Well, that's asked in a different way. Who is responsible for telling people about Jesus? We all are. Me, you, we all are. We cannot take this passage of scripture and apply it only to our pastors. Yeah, our pastors, they have a special gift. And yes, they have special training. And yes, they have a calling from God. And yes, this passage uniquely applies to them. But we cannot divest ourselves of the responsibility that God has placed on each of us to teach the people around us the truth about Jesus Christ. The greatest gift, the greatest gift of love that you can give to your neighbors is tell them about Jesus. Do you love your neighbors? Are you praying for them? Is it your heart's desire that they would be saved? When the church in Jerusalem was scattered through Judea and Samaria by the persecution of Saul, the Bible says that they went, those who were scattered went about preaching the word in Acts chapter 8 verse 4. The ones that were scattered went out preaching the word. Do you know the ones who were not scattered? They were the apostles. They were not scattered. Who went out preaching the word? The yous and me's of that time. They went out preaching the word and planting churches. When Paul made all this work, he was going to, to go to, to Rome to preach the gospel. When he got to Rome, what did he find? The church was already there. People like you and I had gone to Rome and taught the gospel to people and grown the church there. The onus is on us. If we don't tell people about Jesus, then who will? Now, the reality is, even in the first century, there were some people who were, who were specially gifted people who were set apart to dedicate their lives to the ministry of the gospel. That's what they did. Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the church to, to do that very thing. These men were selected and sent out. But those men, went, they, they have a really limited sphere of, of people they can connect with. Think about it for a minute. When Pastor Todd comes up here, and we're so blessed to have a man like him who preaches the gospel to us week after week. But how many people does he reach? Uh, if we really pack it in here, maybe 800. But if we 800 people went out and, and talked to five people in the next week, how many would we reach? Something like 4,000. And if we made it to 10 people, 8,000. How cool would that be? We have a great more influence on the world around us with for Jesus Christ than our pastors do. They become our leaders. They are our teachers. They are our trainers. Your family, your neighbors, your workmates, they belong to you. They're your people. Paul is saying that they cannot be saved unless someone, think you, teaches them about the truth of Jesus and faith in Jesus that can save them. It's a beautiful thing, he says, when people you have taught give their lives to Jesus. So in places like Cameroon, where we don't have a, a big bunch of people like this yet, we first have to bring in pastors who can teach those people to teach their families and their neighbors about Jesus Christ, to be on mission for him.
I want to tell you about two of them. The first one is Pastor Joe. Pastor Joe is a younger man. <laughs> He's sitting down there with his three little kids. Pastor Joe is a younger man, his wife, and three small children. And on our first trip to Cameroon, when Todd came with me and we were there, uh, it included assessing Joe to, to see if he had the potential to attend the Harvest Bible Fellowship Training Center in Chicago. And he did do that. And he became, uh, and, and the idea was, would he be able to come and become a Harvest Bible Chapel pastor? Would he be able to plant a church in Baminda, the city of Baminda? And uh, we were greatly impressed with him. And he attended the training center in Chicago and he flourished. He flourished there. In fact, he was rated the number one or number two all-time best student, uh, best um, non-American student, world student at a Harvest Bible Fellowship Training Center. Amazing, amazingly gifted man. He returned to Baminda to launch Harvest Bible Chapel Baminda, uh, which he did in 2014, and has now nearly 100 adults every Sunday. And they'll soon move to two services. Their church building is about the size of this stage. Uh, maybe a little bigger than that, but not much. <laughs> you can't hardly move. They'll soon move to two services. And Joe is training two strong elder candidates. And he's already got another church planter lined up in the works ready to go. If we can get him to the training center to go and do that. That's Joe. The other one is Gilbert. Gilbert. Uh, was a longtime friend of Joe Achuos, and uh, he also pastored in a winter's, winter's, winter's chapel in the spring of 2015, so just over a year ago. He attended our training sessions in Bamenda and stayed with us at the Baptist Mission Hostel. He had never heard of expository preaching, the kind of preaching that we do in our church here, where you take a passage of Scripture and you work through it all the way. He never heard of that. He never heard the word before. What did he do? He took that one line out of Romans chapter 10, verse 12 or whatever verse that was. And that's what they preached. And, and then he would go and he would find other scriptures. God's going to make you rich. God's going to make you rich. You're going to prosper. And that's what they preached. He never heard of preaching in the context of something before. But he was a, he was a quick, quick learner, a teachable spirit. And beginning in February of this year, he attended the Harvest Bible Fellowship Training Center in Arad, Romania. And in May, he and his two small wife and his two small children moved to Douala. And in the end of June, he was installed as a lead pastor in Harvest Bible Chapel in Douala, where he is preaching the truth about God for the first time in his life. In a sense, he's a third generation of pastors raised up and equipped to preach the authority of God's word in the, without apology in Cameroon. You see, preaching brings the knowledge that leads people to faith and salvation in Jesus Christ. There is no salvation without knowledge. There is no salvation without faith. There is no salvation without preaching. And there's one more critical truth in verses 16 and 17. And that is there is no salvation without hearing. Look what it says. Sixteen and seventeen, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, "Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us?" So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. People have to hear the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
The hard thing for us when we go out to teach people is uh, about what they need to be saved. And we just have a heart for them to be saved. And the hard thing is that sometimes, sometimes they're not going to be saved. Sometimes people in your own family are not going to be saved. Why? For one reason, they refuse to hear the truth of God. Paul tells us that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of God. No, the hearing is the truth about Jesus Christ. And for one reason or another, not everyone hears. The problem set before us is that they cannot hear if they, can, if they are not taught. We still have to go and teach them. If we don't teach them, they'll never be able to hear. But we can't force them to hear. That's why it's so critical that we speak the word of God to them. It's not enough that we can say, well, we model the life of Christ followers for them to say, look, they could see Jesus in me. I never said anything, but they could. No, the Bible says they got to hear. It's not that they can see. They have to hear the message of Jesus Christ in order to come to faith. There is no other way. There is no salvation if there is no hearing of the gospel. Another man named Smith. That's what he's called. What's your name? Smith. What's your name? Smith. So I saw, I know, it's Smith. Smith's the guy on, on the right in the, in the white t-shirt. Uh, <laughs> Smith is a little man, small, tiny. He lives in a rattle trap wheelchair because he has some kind of degenerative bone disease. And he plays a mean guitar. Uh, Smith earned his, earned his living by playing guitar in, in local bars. He was uh, surrounded by drunkenness and all the other ugliness of bars and taverns seen around the world. By his own admission, he participated in much of that stuff. But Pastor Joe met him. Uh, I I haven't asked Pastor Joe where he met him yet. (laughs) I'm scared. (laughs) Pastor Joe met him and taught him about Jesus. And Smith believed. He heard. And he believed. And he gave up his life to Jesus. I mean, he gave it up. It was only a short time after his salvation that, that I met with Smith, met Smith. He played his guitar for us. I was looking at jo- Pastor Jordan's guitar here. It's got, it's got six strings. <laughs> his, Smith's guitar was like that, except he only had four strings on it. But he played a wonderful melody for us. It was so cool. He's such a good guitarist. But he said to me, I'm a Christian now. And I don't think I can keep on playing in bars. And he quit. And I asked him, how are you going to earn your living? And he said, I'm going to start selling used shoes. (laughs) Guess what? People buy used shoes in Cameroon a lot. (laughs) I don't know exactly what he has done for work. But this man now plays a mean guitar each week on Harvest Bemenda's worship team. He heard the word of God and his life changed dramatically. You see, God, God changes us when we hear. When people genuinely hear God's word, they turn to him in faith and they're saved. The Bible is so clear. There is no salvation without knowledge. There is no salvation without faith. There is no salvation without preachers. And there is no salvation without hearing. This is the mission of the church. This is what God called us to do. And therefore we need, we need to pray 
We need to pray for, with, for zeal and a desire for missions. We need, to, we need to call out to God to equip us with his word so that we can teach people about Jesus Christ. We need to give. Give our time, give our energy into sharing the gospel personally. We need to give money to support the, pa- the pastors that we send out and new churches that are planted with the gospel. Harvest Yaoundé is surviving on $300 a month. And that includes Pastor Ibu's salary. They're spending their own money. He lives in a little place about the size of a queen-size bed, he and Henrietta. Pastor Gilbert is, is, is under $500 a month for him and his wife and three small children. And by the way, gas is the same price there as it is here. <laughs> they need, we need to give money. We need to give our time and our energy. We need to be on, engaged in the mission. Not just in Cameroon. We can't all go to Cameroon. But we can go to our people here. Our wives, our children, our families, our parents, our workmates, our neighbors. We need to give our time and our money. We need to go. We need to go with the gospel to our families and our neighbors and our co-workers. It's not just to have a nice conversation. Hey, we had a great day. We need to go to them with the gospel. To be on mission trips if you're asked to go. Someone says to you, hey, can you go to Cameroon? We're going to say, yeah, if I can, if I can figure it out, if God wants me to go, I'll go. We need to be ready to go. Do you have a zeal in your heart that they may be saved? That's what God calls us to have. A zeal, a fire in our souls that people will be saved. Not just in Cameroon, but right here. Fill these chairs with people who have been saved. Let's pray together. Father, we are, we are shocked when we read that people have zeal for God, but it's not according to the truth of your word. We pray that we can go into the community around us with the truth of your word, and you would use us to touch people with the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Give us a fire in our soul to do that, Father. Give us a heart, a passion, so that we cannot resist telling people the story of Jesus because we know that that's the only way they can be saved. God, would you do that in us? Would you pour your spirit into us and anoint us with your presence and empower us with your spirit to to speak the word of God to people in clarity and in simpleness and with love and with grace? Would you, God, do something in our church that is unimaginable? That we would fill this place and overflow it with people that we've taught and have learned about Jesus. And God, for us, as we sit here today, if, if we have not yet surrendered in faith to Jesus Christ, would you enable us to do that even right now? That we would give up ourselves to him. That you would change us this very moment. That we would be the, the ministers of the gospel. We would be the preachers of the gospel that you call us to be. And we would go with Jesus into all the world so that people could be saved by what we hear in Jesus Christ. We pray in his mighty name. Amen.